Kissing by your cross, you came and broke them down. You broke them down. There were chains around us, and by your grace, we are no longer bound. No longer bound. You call me out of the grave, you call me into the light. You call my name, and now my heart came alive. Your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens. Your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens. Cause here the time. In all the dead are coming back to life We're back to life Hear a song awaken Our creation singing we're alive Cause you're alive You call me out of the grave You call me into the light You call my name and now my heart came alive Your love is greater Your love Sudden, I 
CC, we're overjoyed that you decided to spend your morning with us. It's been really amazing to see how technology has allowed us to continue to stay in connection with one another. And if you're here for the first time, we want to connect with you. So go ahead and text CONNECT to the number on your screen. Over the past couple of weeks, you have blown us away with how intentional you've been with serving. There has been mass donations, food drives, blood drives. We want you to continue to stay involved. 
To get the newest updates, go ahead and click the Serve button on our website. Here at MVCC, we know that the Lord has been so generous with us, and we want to be diligent in being generous with Him. This morning, if you're interested in giving, go ahead and click on the link below this video, go to our website, or go to our mobile app. The messages from 1 Peter the past couple of weeks have been so encouraging, so we're really excited to see what Pastor Mike has to say today in Beyond the 52. Let's check it out. Welcome to Mission Vale Christian Church. I am so glad that you're with us here this morning. We're going to be in the Word in just a moment in 1 Peter chapter 5. But before we get there, um, we're going to be talking about a really heavy-duty subject uh, that's from the Word, and it's on my heart. It's just burning in there, and I just want to get it out to you. But before we do that, I just want to ask you to do a couple of things. I want to ask you just to open up your heart. Open up your heart to God and what He might be speaking to you. Whatever journey or path you might be on, or maybe you feel like you're not even on the journey or on the path with God. And I just want to say I'm so glad that you're here. Um, open up your heart and your mind to what God has for us today. And I think the best way to begin is just to open with a word of prayer. I believe that God can do all things and prayer is the pathway. So let's, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for loving us. Thank you, God, for your loving kindness that, that brought us into relationship with you. God, we thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And I thank you that your word is truth. I pray, God, for anybody listening today that you would remove any distraction from us hearing you and most of all, God, responding to what you want. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, in this text, Peter is going um, to use an analogy about a lion. And he's going to talk about the fact that we have a real enemy, a real devil who's after us. Now, if you've walked with the Lord for any amount of time, you know that there is a real enemy who's after your soul. He wants to discourage you, trip you up. Trip you up. He wants to try and do anything to, uh, to get you away from God. So the analogy that, that Peter uses is he's like a roaring lion, which we'll get to in just a second. When I think of, of lion, I, I think of uh, those are the coolest of animals. Uh, when I was a teenager, I remember uh, a place just right near uh, Irvine Spectrum. And it was a place that you could get in the car with your family and drive out to these, these dirt roads and this makeshift jungle that they put together. All these animals were just roaming around free. It was different than any kind of zoo that was ever created. It was called Lion Country Safari. And you could actually drive through and these animals would literally like come up to your car window. You could even roll down the window a little bit and touch the giraffe. It was just, it was awesome. But there was one animal that we, we, we couldn't wait to find. And that was the lion. The lion is the coolest event. He's the, the king of the kingdom. He is this, the, 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 the ruler of all the animal kingdom. He was the awesome, awesome one that we wanted to see. And I think um, when Peter writes this, he writes this in a context about the lion that is far different. He was writing to a group of followers of Jesus that were literally being chased down by Nero, who was a ruler of that day, and he wanted to basically annihilate and wipe Christianity off the face of the earth. So he was arresting Christians, he was killing them, he was torturing them. And so when he writes this about there's a roaring lion, he's talking about a real Satan, a real devil who's after your soul, and he can come in many different forms and many different packages. So let's read this together as we want to get a handle on how to do combat with the enemy. He says in chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, Be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. 
but resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. He's very clear and he's very directive in this text that there is a real live enemy after us. Now, when lions move about in the jungle, they will move about in what's called a pride. They would move together in numbers. When they would look for a territory to take over, they would look for one of their prey who might be in that territory. They would surround him and they would roar into them fear and then the one would come, the lion would come and attack. And I think that's really the picture that we get here that, that Peter's trying to communicate that the devil is, is, is someone that we um, don't have to be afraid of, but he is real. Now, what we want to look at here is who is this devil? Who is this Satan? And in 1 Peter 5, we just read that he wants to devour us, but we are to resist him. So I want to look today really quick his identity. I want to look at his strategy. I want to look at his territory. And I want to look at, lastly, his frailty. So let's look first at his identity. Who is he? What is he all about? Is he real? Well, we know in the Bible it says he's referenced over 35 times in the New Testament as the devil. He's referenced 52 times as Satan. He's also mentioned five times as the evil one and five times as the wicked one. He's talked about, he's talked about in the Bible as a master of disguise, an angel of light, a deceiver. Yet he was gifted of all the created angels. At one time he was an angel created by God, purposed for God's pleasure. But he rebelled against God. He rebelled against all that is good. Yet knowing that God had gifted him with so many gifts, he allowed him to have free will. I'm sure that many of us remember the movie The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. Years ago it came out. Amazing movie about the last week of Jesus' life. At the end of that movie, um, Mel Gibson said in many different interviews, and one of the interviewers asked him this question. When you portrayed the devil in that movie, he always seems to appear where we can't really recognize him. Sometimes he's good, sometimes he's ugly, sometimes he appears to be good, sometimes he looks enticing. And this is what Mel Gibson said. I love this. He said, that's exactly the way I wanted to portray him. That's how he is. Evil can appear to be good until you see the ugliness that he really is. Isn't that exactly how he works? He, his identity is to have evil on the inside, but he can appear to be so good, which leads us to his strategy. What is his strategy? What is he trying to do? What is he trying to accomplish? Well, verse 8 says he prowls around looking for someone to devour. A lion will hunt its prey with the pride around him, as I had mentioned, and they will attack, they will isolate, and they will corner its prey. And that's exactly what he wants to do to us. If he can isolate us, if he can get us into a vulnerable place and, and inflict fear upon us, then he will go in for the kill. Ephesians 6.11 says, Put on the full armor of God that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. So we know that the devil has schemes. He's a trickster. He's a deceiver. Think about this for a minute. If the enemy could deceive one third of the angels who were in the presence of God, praising God in heaven, if he could deceive one third of them to leave God and follow him, what can he do here on earth? I, not, I need not be so overconfident to think, oh, well, he can't deceive me. 
He can't certainly uh, deceive me into following his ways. I need to be alert and to be aware and to be sober of mind, which we'll get to in just a moment. So what does that look like? I, I remember when uh, my wife and I were serving in the church years ago uh, with high school and junior high school students. And I loved youth ministry. I loved hanging out with kids and just pouring into them and teaching them the word and helping them find Jesus Christ in their life. And I remember we, we had uh, many outings with them. And one of those outings was that I remember one of the uh, uh, students, their parents opened up their house and their backyard to have this huge uh, youth night. So we had maybe 30 junior high school kids there. There was a pool and barbecue and everything was awesome. All this music is playing. And I was standing at the edge of the pool and I, I knew this was going to happen. I could see out of the corner of my eye these junior high school students. There was about three or four of them that were conspiring, man. They were, they were scheming a plan. And I knew what they were doing. They were going to try and push me in the pool. And so I knew it was going to happen. I could see them in their schemes. And as they got closer to me, I had my own scheme. I had my own plan. And my plan was, as soon as they were going to try and push me in and take me down, dude, I am grabbing as many arms as legs and, and, as I possibly can because you're going in with me. And that's exactly what I did, man. They tried to push me in the pool and I grabbed them all and we all went in together. I think that right there is an analogy that how the enemy wants to take you down spiritually, emotionally, he'll try everything he can to get you away from Christ. And he knows, he knows that he's going down. He knows his destiny. He knows his future. And he's going to try and take as many people down with him as he possibly can. We don't want to fall to the enemy. We want to be able to resist him standing firm, which leads to this third area that I see out of this text. He definitely has a territory. We looked at his identity. We looked at the fact that he has a strategy. And now we want to look at his territory. How do we know that? Because it says here in verse 9, to resist him standing firm in the faith, because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. God has allowed him a limited amount of jurisdiction over this world. In fact, the Bible even says that Jesus called him the little g God of this world. So we know that he's working throughout the world, unfortunately running havoc, trying to keep people away from, from Jesus Christ, trying to keep the kingdom of God you know, under a, a bowl so it can't be seen from, from all miles around, around the world. And so he has different, what I call, hot spots. The enemy has hot spots that he's trying to control and he's trying to take jurisdiction and territory over. Now, he knows that he will not be in charge, but he does know that ultimately he will be in chains. Let, let, let me ex explain this for a second. If you want to cross-reference over, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Mark chapter 5, um, where Jesus is with his 12 disciples and he says to the guys, look, guys, hop in the boat, we're going to the other side. Halfway across the lake, they encounter this just horrific storm. Jesus calms the storm, and then they make their way to the other side of, of the lake. Jesus full well knows what's going to happen, but the disciples have no idea. They're afraid in the middle of the storm, even the fact that Jesus is with them. They get to the other side of, of, of the lake, and Jesus steps off the, 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 the boat, and he, and he steps foot on the shore, and there's this man who's he's, he's out of his mind, it appears. He's... He's not only out of his mind, he's, he's insane. Uh, he's been living in the tombs. He's been living in the graveyard. He's been chained hand and foot. He breaks the chains. He cuts himself with stones. I mean, this is a bad scene. Not only is this a bad scene for the man, 
but he's literally possessed with demons. Jesus comes up to him, and the demons who are possessing this man, the man comes up to Jesus, and it says in that fifth chapter that he bows down before Jesus. And this is what the demons say to Jesus. Swear to God that you will not torture us. Swear to God that you will not torture us. That tells me that the enemy knows where he's going, the demons know what their fate is, and they're still in subjection to Jesus Christ. It says that the man bowed down before Jesus, which tells me that the enemy knows who he is. He's in total submission to Jesus Christ. So, imagine Peter watching from a distance this whole scene. What, what in the world was he thinking? Which really makes 1 Peter 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 8, it makes this come alive. Peter comes face to face with Jesus, standing in the background, probably a few feet away. He comes face to face with the enemy. He knows that the enemy isn't playing around, that he's playing for keeps. He's pray, playing for your life. He's playing for this man's life. And it's interesting as this conversation between Jesus and the demons go on, the demons ask, they actually request, remember now, because they have to be in subjection to God, they actually request, if you take us out of this man, could you send us into the pigs? Here's the question that I have. Why would they want to go into the pigs? The only thing that I can figure is that the enemy has jurisdiction over that territory and he wants to stay in that area. Jesus allows them to go into the pigs. And if you've read the story, you know they run off the hill. Here's the amazing thing in the middle of this fifth chapter of Mark. The whole city comes out to see Jesus. The city comes out to see God. The city comes out to see God. Everybody in that region, everybody in the city come out to see Jesus, which tells me this. You might be under attack right now from the enemy, or you may look at your life in previous attacks. There's got to be a reason for it. Jesus allowed this man to be possessed by the enemy, enemies, because he knew as he was going to perform this miracle and deliver this man, even though it was painful and it might have been confusing and it was horrific, God wanted to, that city to see the display of God. He wanted the people in that region to see that he was the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he has jurisdiction. This is his territory, and God's going to take that territory back. Tells me this, that even through the storm, even through getting over to the other side of the lake, Jesus was always with them. Jesus has a plan. Jesus has a purpose. And he just desires for you and I to step into that plan. Sometimes, yeah, as scary as it might be, God is always there with us. When, uh, when we want to expand the territory that we believe God has given us, we can expect an attack. Yep, we can expect an attack when we step out in faith. You know, when my kids were little, they don't, they don't know this, but when they were little, um, we had the opportunity to step into this place, Mission Vale Christian Church, and I had just this incredible privilege to, to pastor this amazing community of people. As soon as we stepped into that role, my wife and I together, we could sense that the enemy was on an attack. Not just against us, but against the church. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe 
that God wants the unsaved to get saved. We believe that this community of, of believers is for the community of Mission Viejo and we want to be out there loving people. So he wants to stop all that. So what I did is I just went into the kitchen one night. Everybody was sleeping, just took some oil. And because the Bible talks about the oil brings the anointing of God and brings the protection of God and God puts his hand. It's just an imagery. It's just an analogy for God's spirit and protection and call over a certain territory or person. And I just went in there and touched the four areas of my territory, just the four corners of my property, my home, dedicating it to God. God, I, I remember I, I, I prayed such, such a, a, a prayer. It was, it was, God, protect my family, protect my kids. God, put an anointing over the lives of my family, God, because I want more than anything else your favor. And if the enemy's going to attack, I want us to be alert and I want us to be ready. Which, which really brings us to the fact of the enemy's frailty. He knows he's frail, he knows who he is, and he knows who God is. In fact, 1 Peter 3.8, just turn over there. If you have your Bibles, first, uh, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 3, verse, verse 8 says this. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. We know, we know that he is out to destroy. Jesus is out to destroy the devil's work. And when he died on that cross, when Jesus died and he rose again on the third day, it was confirmation that Jesus is the Son of God. He's God in flesh. And that miracle of new life has been given now to us. The enemy knows that. And if he can discourage you, if he can frighten you, if he can get you to back away and not believe the truth, that's exactly what he wants to do. Because he knows, remember, he knows where he's going. So, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, remind us, that the devil and his angels, hell was actually created for the devil and for his angels. It was never, hell was never created for, God never intended for people to go there. In fact, Jesus rescued us out of hell into heaven because of his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. So question is, what do we do? What do we do with all this? Well, we got some choices. We can avoid all this. We can pretend it's not really there. We can pre pretend there's not really a devil. Or third, we can engage the weapons. We can engage the weapons that God has given us. Now, Ephesians 6 says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities in the heavenly realms. There is an unseen world, even though we can't see it. We know that there is one true God. We know that he has an enemy and the enemy is out for us. But we also know this, that Jesus is the true lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the ultimate king. He is the ultimate authority. And so even though Peter writes with this, this, this pen about this broad stroke, you know, just brush about how the enemy is like a lion, he is not in authority. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus holds authority all authority. So, Colossians 1.27, if we're a believer, it reminds us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ, not just around us, not just here on earth, not just in heaven, but it, catch this, it actually says, if you've invited Christ into your life, 
Jesus Christ is in you. He's the hope of glory in us. So we don't have to avoid. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to pretend about the devil. He's given us hope. He's given us the assurance. And most of all, he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to engage the weapons when he's attacking us. So, first thing he says here very clearly is to be alert. You know, I think of being alert spiritually. I'm thinking about when Jesus said, I want you to watch and I want you to pray. I'm thinking about in the book of Nehemiah when God told him to build this great wall. He had these watchmen on the wall and these watchmen were watching for the approaching enemies that would come. Even at night when they couldn't see him, there were specific things that they were to be very, very watchful over that they could fight when the enemy was approaching. I think it's in the same way spiritually for us. We have to be alert. So what does that mean? If we can't see the devil, if we can't see the demonic world, we know that he's there working through different schemes in this world to get our eyes off of Jesus. So question is, how do we become more alert? I think one of the ways is we got to know our weaknesses. We got, we got to know where not to get engaged in and where to get engaged in. I got to know what not to do, but I also got to know what to do. And so where's the compass? How do I find my way? It's right here in the Word. The Word gives us the direction. The Word allows us to be alert like that watchman on the wall. I want to be watching, not paranoid, but I just want to be watching because I do not want to be another statistic. I do not want to be uh, taken out by the enemy. He says, secondly, I want you to be sober of mind. What he's really saying here is I want your mind to be clear. I want you to have self-control, which is the attribute of the Holy Spirit. I, I don't want you to be out of control. I don't want you to be confused. That's why it says in, in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means I have to know the word. That means the word transforms my thought process. It, it helps me to think differently. It helps me to see situations differently the way Jesus would see them. Here's, here's, here's the get down to the brass tacks of it. Jesus says that the word is our sword. And what God wants us to do is to be able to pick up that sword and know how to use it. And, and, and so it's a lifelong journey. It's not something that just you know happens overnight. It's a lifelong journey of getting into the word, knowing the word, and most importantly, living that word. I'll say it, I've said it many times before, and I'll just say it again because it's something that I try to live by. I had a dear friend of mine, most humble of guys, and he said this when I was a youth pastor. He said, man, if you don't want to slip, then don't go where it's slippery. And it's so true. I got to know where the slippery slopes are around me so that I'm not taken captive by the enemy. So, so it's knowing the word. And then he says this, resisting, standing firm in the faith. Not standing firm in my faith, because sometimes, sometimes my faith wavers. I'm not always on my game. I'm not always on the mountaintop with my faith. But it says standing firm. When I think of standing firm, standing resolute together, standing on the faith, the faith in the context of the word is Christianity. In fact, in Jude, the short little book in verse 3, it says, contend for the faith, standing firm in the faith, standing firm on Christianity, standing firm on the rock, standing firm on the word. Now, how do we do that? Well, 
Peter says here through the theme. Remember, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, there's one theme that just keeps reoccurring throughout all these chapters, and that's submit and humble ourselves. Standing firm means we know that we are submitting our ways to God. We submit our will to His will. We're in obedience to God. You know what's it's amazing is, is a lot of people think if, if we put the Word of God into practice, then it's confining. It, it, it ruins all of our fun. It, it's constricting. That's the farthest thing from the truth. There's so much freedom. When we just simply obey the Word and walk in the Word, there's freedom that comes to that. Now, isn't it ironic that Peter, who battled the enemy, is writing now here in these words, 30 years after he was walking with Jesus, who Jesus told him, Peter, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And remember Peter said to him, Lord, I'll never leave you. In fact, I'll go to Jerusalem and die with you. He was confronting the enemy right there. In fact, remember when Peter told Jesus, Lord, I'll never leave you. I'll never deny you. And hours later, he found himself in the, in the garden, denying Jesus three times. Why do I bring that up? I bring that up to say this. You may be listening to this thinking, man, I'm ill-equipped. I can't fight the enemy. I, I'm, I'm not equipped. I'm, I'm not stacked up spiritually. I'm not, I'm not you know, just, I, I don't have the itinerary. I don't have what it takes to fight the devil. And you know what? You're exactly right. I'm exact. I, we're all in the same camp here. I cannot fight the enemy without Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I just, I hope this has been encouraging for you. I just close with, with this that, that I read years ago. In World War II, there was a soldier who was standing firm at his post. Just like the word says today, stand firm. He stood firm. For 17 hours, he held his post. And in that 17th hour, he began, began to get tired and weary and began to fall asleep. Well, his soldiers around him, his brothers, immediately saw him falling asleep. And so they formed a fortress, a makeshift physical fortress. They held hands together. They grabbed uh, shoulders together and they made a fortress around him, not allowing him to fall. And I just, I love that visual, that picture. That Yes, as we have Christ in us, we still need those around us. We need our brothers. We need our sisters at times to help hold us up, to stand our ground. And that's why we believe at MVCC here, that to do this in community with other people is vital. Jesus had 12 disciples around him. And there are even times that Jesus wanted his disciples to be with him. And I just think in the same way, we need one another to help stand the ground that Jesus has called us to stand. Listen, if, if this has been helpful for you at all, I just really want to encourage you. Social media is an awesome thing. That we're getting the gospel out in so many areas of the world. I just want to encourage you to share this gospel, to share this message with somebody, share it. Um, if you're maybe just feeling like you're far away from God, I, I just want to ask, if you want to decide to give your life to Jesus, he just says, I want you to believe in me. I want you to receive me, John chapter 1 says, and then I want you to follow me. If that's your decision today, man, i just so hopeful that you make that decision. At MVCC, we want to help you. There's some information here on the website that we would love to help you in your first steps. We look forward to seeing you next week at MVCC. We'll be in First Peter, and uh, we'll, we'll see you then.